Word of mouth is our biggest advocate. I have new customers that come in every single week and they say, oh, such and such told me about you or I saw you on Facebook. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews-Okome. So let's get started. Hey, hey guys, welcome, welcome back to the show. It's Nikayla here, and today I am back with a special Side Hustle Spotlight episode. I'm featuring a true Side Hustle pro, Keisha Watkins. Keisha is the owner of the Black-owned beauty supply store, Bee Polish Beauty Supply in Arlington, Texas. Now, Keisha has had a successful career in the human resource profession, which she still works in. She works full-time, but she's also passionate about entrepreneurship and being her own boss. Her beauty supply store, Bee Polish Beauty Supply, offers an array of hair care needs and provides an unparalleled level of beauty experience to customers. Her hope in opening Bee Polish Beauty Supply is to provide representation as an African-American owner in the beauty supply industry and promote entrepreneurship to other women. Keisha is also the owner of Watkins Way Consulting, a member of Delta Sigma Theta and Distinguished Black Women. In this episode, Keisha shares how she juggles working full-time in HR while also operating a -a seven-day-a-week business. She also gets into the financial and tactical aspects of opening a beauty supply store and how she manages the mental highs and lows of being an entrepreneur, which we all can relate to. So we get into so much more. Can't wait for you to hear it. Let's get right into it. Thank you for being here. And first things first, I want to know a little bit more about you and your own words. I'm always curious. So tell us more about your business, Be Polished Beauty Supply. Absolutely. So we are a Black-owned beauty supply store in the DFW Metroplex. Um, We've been open for a little over a year. We just celebrated our anniversary January the 17th. So yay to us. (laughs) a full year. We're full-scale beauty supply store. So when I say full-scale, I mean we have beauty supplies, hair care products, crochet hair, braid hair, bundles, wigs, pretty much everything your other beauty supply stores carry besides the fact that we're just black owned. So full stock. I like that you mentioned that because, yeah, there's some beauty supply stores you go to and they're just products. And then there's some that are like hair. So I love that you mentioned that you do it all. Now, you have had a very successful career in human resources, What drives your passion for entrepreneurship and being your own boss and side hustling? Oh, so I will be very honest and transparent. Opening a beauty supply store was never in my plans. Like I never saw this coming and kind of blindsided me. Um, but before Be Polished, I had a company called uh, uh, Polished Careers, and that was basically on the human resources side. So I used to write resumes for people. I used to help them with job offers because, again, my background is in human resources. But when I opened Be Polished, of course, I had to let that go because this business consumes me totally. 
Um, so opening a beauty supply store was never my goal. Actually, being an entrepreneur was never my goal. You know, I always thought I would have a great career in a profession which turned out to be HR and that would be enough. But things started to change and I started having this pulling and tugging on me to do more. And so I heeded to that call. And here I am today with um, a beauty supply store. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's unpack that that pulling and tugging because, you know, a lot of us have pulling and tuggings for different things and then it gets hard and we like we're like all right maybe maybe uh, I should be doing something else so what made you start to even think about a beauty supply store? You know, so when the natural hair movement kicked off um, where everybody was a YouTube influencer, people were making products, I was the person that was up on YouTube all night, every day, looking at these influencers, just styling their hair, trying these products. <laughs> that was me. I was in the kitchen making flaxseed gel, making my own oil blends. So I actually always thought I would have my own product line. That was something that was really heavily on my heart. But something in 2017 started to shift a little bit. And I kept hearing the words, open a beauty supply store. And I'm a spiritual person. So I kind of listen to, you know, what I'm hearing or what I'm feeling or what I'm being pulled to. And I was like, okay, God, this is not, this don't make sense. Like who's opening a beauty supply store, like maybe online. And it was no open a beauty supply store. And I just started researching. And I remember when I spoke it out loud to somebody, I was on my way to dinner one night and we were talking about the things that we wanted to do. And I said, I want to open a beauty supply store. And they looked at me. They was like, like a Sally's beauty. And I was like, exactly like a Sally's beauty. And when I spoke those words out loud, I kid you not, the doors just started opening. I had no knowledge of retail. I mean, I've worked in retail in my younger years, but I had no knowledge of retail, no knowledge of black owned beauty supply stores. Before I started to do my research, I didn't even know black owned beauty supply store was a thing until I went to Google. I'm like, let me Google this because I've never seen one. I've never heard of one. And this is something that I wanted to do. So I'm like, maybe I'll be the first one. But to my surprise, <laughs> I was not. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so that's just kind of how that got started. It was really wow. a, a passion that turned, well, actually a hobby, I would say, that turned into a passion that has turned into a business. I've heard you also talk about that idea of how speaking things into the atmosphere, that's when it really gets real. So I love that you mentioned you were at dinner with your friend and how that took it to that next level. Oh, wow. I, I just said this. I need to do this. Absolutely. What, what was your plan at the time? So you were still working full time. Were you planning to just open this on the side and have uh, extra income? Like, was that your vision? You know, honestly, going into this, I did not know. And some days I still don't know. <laughs> um, when I wanted to do this, one of the first things I did, you know, I was still working full time as an HRIS manager, um, what I'm currently doing now. But one of the first things I did is I went to work at Sally's. Um, and I wanted to see what the day to day was like. And I tell everybody who reaches out to me, you need to go work at Sally's because they'll kind of give you an insight of what you'll have to deal with on a day to day base basis in this business. So I never 
really knew if I would just have my beauty supply store only or if I would continue to work as well. You know, I still think about that to this day. Um, I still work full time as an HRS manager and I still have the store. I think probably once I start scaling the business a little bit more, having maybe multiple stores, I won't be able to work full time. But as long as I just have my one location right now and things are still manageable, I plan to work and I'll be transparent. The store does not pay me. (laughs) So I have to continue to work um, because you need that extra revenue when you're doing something like this. Of course. And you went to work at Sally's. Now, this is crazy. I don't hear many people do this, even though we should. Right. So you did this after work and on weekends. And for how long? Yes. So I was leaving my full time job and going to Sally's um, and I will work about 430 to close five to close. And then I was working on the weekends as well. And it gave me the best experience because it actually showed me what the day to day could be like. And I was able to help my customers. I was able to read the new products that was in the store. We put out inventory on Tuesday, but it was hard work. My feet hurt, my back hurt. I was not used to, you know, I have a sit down job, so I wasn't used to standing up (laughs) for several hours. Um, It was really hard work, but it was very insightful. And it gave me a really indication of what my store would, I would want my store to run like. Um, So I really enjoyed my time at Sally's. Okay. And now once you had that experience at Sally's, what were your next steps to get your own beauty supply store started? You know, I attended a couple of conferences um, and little as you're doing research, you find out that there are resources out there. So I did attend a conference about black ownership. It was a conference in L.A. I reached out to other beauty supply store owners that I found. I actually found a network and who knew there was an entire Facebook group of black owners and there's black owners across the the United States. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know you guys existed. So I've been very active in that Facebook group, but I started collaborating with them. I started reaching out to them, asking questions. And of course, I did my own research. I tell a lot of people you have to do your own research because this industry, you can get, um, I won't say enticed, but you can go down the wrong path quickly with vendors and hair vendors and all kinds of stuff. So I really did a lot of research to just figure out this business and get get the ball rolling. And when I say it was like doors open after doors. You know, it, the process was almost too easy for me. And I still look back on it and say, how did I get open in a year? I still don't believe how I absolutely did that. <laughs> That's what we're trying to find out, too, Keisha. <laughs> you know, I honestly don't know. I, I found the location. Yeah. I, I think the hardest part for me was actually finding my location. Yes, how did you do that? Because I, Yeah, so initially I was on the hunt by myself. I was going to different locations and looking at the square footage because I knew what kind of size I wanted. I didn't want anything too big, but I knew I needed something big enough. And so I would look at locations, but interesting enough, a lot of landlords would not respond to me, would not give me information. And I feel like it was because I was too much of a risk. So what I ended up doing, I did find a realtor who found some amazing locations and he actually found the location that I'm in today. And so once we did that, I had a business plan. I found the location. 
And when I picked my location, I sent the business plan over to the landlord and they were like, we were absolutely love to have you. And then when two weeks I had a lease and I had signed a lease. <laughs> okay. So why do you think they felt you were too much of a risk? Because you'd never opened a business before or they'd never had that kind of business in that particular area? I think it was because I was a new entrepreneur and I, this was my first store. So, you know, the commercial rent, and I tell everybody, commercial rent hits differently than your apartment. Yes. You know, so you, <laughs> you have to be able to pay that three, four, five, whatever your rent is a month. And so when landlords are looking at potential people to rent out their location, they do want to see that you have established, you're, you're established, and that you, you know, you might not be default on your, your rent. But I was luckily, lucky to find a landlord who took a chance on me. And speaking of that, you know, that commercial rent hit indifferently, what did it require financially? Did you have to put down like a security deposit of three months plus then start paying rent immediately? Was it like f five figures? Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes. Yeah, so absolutely. So with most commercial properties, they do require you to put a security deposit down, which is typically the amount of your rent. And then they also make you put down last month's rent. So I did, that was about 10 grand, <laughs> a lot right there that you have to write a check at the signing of your lease. And then also I was able to negotiate in my lease um, a, a lead way. So I didn't pay rent for the first, I think 90 days. And that actually gave me opportunity to do the build out. So my space was actually a shell. I had nothing in it besides a bathroom. The floors were not done. Um, the the um, walls were not painted. I had no slat walls, no anything. So in those 90 days when I didn't have to pay rent, I made sure my contractors hustled to get stuff done so I can open on time and start making some money because that rent was about to start. <laughs> Yes. And, you know, Keisha, I'm so impressed by you because all I keep thinking about is all the different components involved in opening this. So not only are you putting down 10,000, but at the same time, you had to have search for contractors in advance so you can hit the ground running and get them to start making this more than a shell. And, and did they were they able to do that within the 90 days? They were. They were. And so I got everything done right on time. And that's why I kind of say sometimes I feel like my process was too easy because everything happened the way it should have happened. That made it easy for me. You know, right before I signed my lease, I got laid off on my job August the 1st. So I got laid off on my job August the 1st, right in the middle of my process. I had already got the funds that I needed. I actually took out a personal loan because I could not get a business loan. So I had my money that I needed to get started to pay my contractors, to pay my first and last month's rent and the deposit, and to open my initial accounts with my, my vendors to stock the store. But I got laid off August the 1st. And so it was interesting because I'm like, okay, God, I'm, I'm, I got laid off. Now what do I do? And so that's kind of when I started going really, really hard with finding the location. So I found the location. And then during that time of the period when I was laid off, I just went hard. I found my contractors. I opened all my accounts. I got my website up running. I started looking for people that I might want to consider hiring because I had a target date to open January. I wanted to open in January. So I said, I have this much time to get everything done. And I just hustled those days, those months that I was off. I was laid off and I was off of work for, I think about three or four months. 
months. And so about October, November, I went back to work. But those months that I was laid off, I just went like hard on trying to get everything I possibly can get done, get done. Wow. And are there tips you can offer for those who are looking for good contractors who also want that smooth experience of not having to fire anybody in the middle of it and hire somebody new? Yes, absolutely. So word of mouth was my the best advocate for everything, you know, honestly, good referrals. But I actually asked my landlord if they knew anybody, you know, because they are a landlord, I'm sure they've built other locations. So when I signed my lease, I asked my landlord, I said, hey, do you know of any contractors that can help me do the build out, like do my floors and paint my walls and stuff like that? And they referred somebody to me that they had used at another property. And so that's how I kind of found a good contractor. Um, But it is hard out there because and I did bet like three or four different contractors. And there were some that was way out of my price range. Um, but the one that I ended up using, he was the best one and the the most affordable too. So what happened on day one, opening day? How did that go? You know, it turned into, it, it was supposed to be a soft launch. Um, and it actually turned into a grand opening. So okay. <laughs> for so many people, I had posted a like sneak peek video. It was late one Saturday night, me and a girlfriend, one of my line sisters, we were in there putting stuff in the system, hanging wall or wigs and just doing a whole video. And I was like, let me just do a little 60 second video and post it on the business page. Because at this time I have had my business page for a long, long time. And this is a good tip for your listeners. Like if you plan on opening a business, make sure you get your tribe before you open. When I got my logo created, I created my social media accounts and I kept people in updated in my process. So, you know, I took pictures of different locations that I was looking at, you know, so people were following me for six and seven months before I had even opened. I think I had about 2000 followers before I even opened my, de- my doors. Um, so I had a huge following. But I took this video and it was literally like 60 seconds. It was blurry and I posted and I was like sneak peek opening or soft launch January the 17th and it went viral. (laughs) Get out. (laughs) Viral. And I had the Black Chamber of Commerce share it. And I I can't even remember how many shares and views it had, but it absolutely went viral. So on day one, it was crazy. It was bananas. And I had already hired my staff. That's another thing. I made sure I had my staff in place before I opened my doors because, again, I planned on continuing to work. And so I couldn't work the store and be at work. So we had an amazing day. It was the bit it was it was more than what I expected, to be honest. And so I never had a grand opening after that because I'm like, I guess I've already had my grand opening. <laughs> Let's talk about that hiring of the staff, because that is the one of the hardest things for all new entrepreneurs. So where did you look for staff and how did you go about vetting really good people that you could trust behind the cash register? You know, so my day to day is human resources. So I've been an HR business partner. I've been a recruiter. So, you know, I'm used to hiring and firing. (laughs) And (laughs) I actually just use Facebook, um, Facebook jobs. And I put it out there. I had written my job description. I'm one of those people I'm like by the book. So I written my drop job description. Um, I had it down to what I wanted the person to be able to do. And so I put it out there on Facebook and I got a lot of, um, 
candidates. And so I did initial phone screens first, and then I brought people into the store that I wanted to move forward with and before it was open. So it was like shelves that were empty in there. And I told people, you know, my vision and what I really wanted in the employees that I hired. You know, you there's no way that you can really know someone's motives I mean, it's just impossible. So you do have to just take a chance and sometimes follow your gut. And I mean, it's backfired on me. I've had to hot fire maybe two or three employees, which I think is actually pretty good based on, you know, the long, the tent, the time I've been open. Um, but I just took a chance on a couple of people. There's been one lady that's been with me, young lady that's been with me since I've opened. So she's been with me over a year. And the other three, um, they're really, really great as well. I just hired two new people. And so I'm at a staff of four now. So you know, you just have to take a chance on people um, and, you know, act accordingly if they don't act right. You know, I, I tell them all the time I'm quick to I'm slow to hire and quick to fire. And I, <laughs> and they know this about me. I'm like, you know, I've been firing people for the last, you know, 10 plus years. It's nothing to me to let you go for not doing what you're supposed to do. I, I know that's not the morning motivational talk, though. Like, I, <laughs> I know that's not the team meeting pep talk. <laughs> No. <laughs> well, it's clearly it's still so impressive that you've been able to retain. And, you know, it's comforting to know that even as someone so seasoned in HR, you too have to go through, um, you know, people who may do well on the interview, on the screens, and then still just have to be comfortable with letting go when it's not a good fit. Correct. You do. You have to be comfortable and it's hard. Um, but it's a necessary because um, your staff can make or break your business in this industry. Mm-hmm. You know, as a black owned beauty supply store, we are expected, not preferred, but expected to offer great customer service and to know more than our counterparts in this industry know. So it's an expectation for us. And I tell my staff, my, my customer service um my customer service is not non-negotiable. That is something that we continue to do. That is something that we will always do. So if I get any type of complaints from customers about whatever, you know, I'm going to have to have a conversation with what happened. But if it's a reoccurring event, then I have to make some hard decisions. And speaking of that, why do you think, especially now having been doing this for a year and year and change, why do you think having a black owned beauty supply store is so important? You know, outside of just the numbers, you know, I read, um, I think it was a couple of years ago that this industry is a $52 billion industry somewhere around there. And we don't have any ownership. Black um, women and men have the least amount of ownership in this industry. And for me, it is very important to provide a safe place for people who look like me and have my, my textured hair and have my similar issues. Like I have alopecia. So I wanted to always, when I opened the store, I wanted to provide a safe place for people to come in and feel welcome. You know, we've seen multiple, you know, situations where people have been locked in beauty supply stores because they were accused of stealing or the police has been caught called on them and all this other stuff. And for me, 
when you have a black owned beauty supply store and, and the, I speak for my store and I hope other black owned beauty supply stores give this same type of atmosphere. It's like, you're safe here. You can come in, you can take off your wig, which people do <laughs> in our store. You come in take off your wig, try another wig off, walk around the store with your wig cap on. You know, you can ask me questions about what products to, can I use to grow my hair or my child's hair is not growing or, you know, I'm experiencing dryness or whatever the case might be, you're safe and be polished. And so for me, that has always been important that we provide that level of customer service and that level of comfort and the reason why we're open. You know, I tell people all the time, this business is not a money making business, especially in your first year and your year two. Um, you have to have a passion for it. And it's definitely a labor of love. You know, I don't pay myself from the store. And so, but I still show up, you know, I still greet my customers. I'm still there for them and all that stuff. So going into this business, you have to have a, a reason why that's beyond money. And the reason why for me is just because I wanted to provide a safe place for people who look like me. And how do you get people, more and more people to come into that space that where other people look like them, where other people have that comfort level to um, help each other try on wigs or share real product reviews? How do you get a piece of that market share when people are so used to going to like a Sally's or what have you? How do you build the name recognition for your own store? How have you been marketing it? You know, it's interesting because I have this conversation a lot, especially with other black owners, where our foot traffic is not where we want it to be and not where our counterparts are, you know. And so it's really word of mouth is our biggest advocate. You know, I have new customers that come in every single week and they say, oh, such and such told me about you or I saw you on Facebook or I saw you on Instagram. So I'm heavily promoting Be Polished all the time on my personal page, our social media pages, um, Facebook ads are great. Um, you know, Google ads are great. And then also the footwork, you know, I, you can catch me any Saturday or Sunday before I work my own shift with flyers and business cards at the Walmart up the street or putting flyers on at the other shopping or the other stores within the shopping center. So it's a constant, um, a constant, I won't say a struggle, but it's something that you constantly have to do to get your name out there. And you really just have to use all means of communication. You can't be heavy just on Facebook or just Instagram, but you have to be out there with your tennis shoes on, handing business cards out, networking, attending events. You know, and I recently started my podcast, which I'm not consistent with. I don't understand how you are. <laughs> <laughs> Consistency is key. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's like, I'm going to drop one every Wednesday. Okay. You know, my schedule just does not accommodate it. But, you know, and you actually had given me, given me the idea. I saw something come through and it was talking about expand your brand with podcasting. So I was like, oh, that's a great idea. And so that's kind of how I started it. But you really have to use all channels to get your brand out there and let people know that you're, you're out there and you do exist. Hey guys, it's Nikayla here with a quick word from our sponsor. If you listen to my episode on how to make money podcasting, then you know that I pitched my very first sponsor six months after launching this show. And you know what else I did once I landed the contract? I invoiced them using FreshBooks. FreshBooks made it so simple. 
That's because FreshBooks invoicing and accounting software is designed specifically for small business owners. It's simple, it's intuitive, and it keeps you organized. FreshBooks lets you create and send professional looking invoices in 30 seconds, and then get them paid two times faster with automated online payments. Plus, you can file expenses even quicker and keep them perfectly organized for tax time. And the best part, FreshBooks grows alongside your business. So you'll always have the tools you need when you need them without ever having to learn how to do accounting. Try it free for 30 days, no catch and no credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com slash side hustle pro and enter side hustle pro in the how did you hear about us section to get started. Again, that's freshbooks.com slash side hustle pro and tell them side hustle pro sent you things about that well number one I think it's so great that you are you are down and dirty with your business you know you are in there working shifts you're in there like you just said promoting handing out flyers business cards and sometimes you have to recognize that um you're not going to see the the ripple effect that your action is having right away. So for example, your podcast, right? You might think, oh man, I'm not consistent. Is this worth it? But your podcast helped me to find you. You know, your podcast is a platform and it doesn't matter if it's just one or two people who heard a particular episode. You never know what those one or two people will then do with that. And so in this case, I'm glad you started your podcast, you know? And I'm glad you're on the ground doing what you're doing. That said, I know it's not easy. And was where you selected your location, was that, did you select that location with foot traffic in mind, knowing that your target audience hangs out in that area? I did. So one thing um, I learned early is that you want to, especially in this business or any type of retail storefront, that you want to open your location in a location that already has foot traffic. And so for me, there was plenty of new um, commercial sites that were coming up, but I'm like, I don't have time to drum up foot traffic. You know, I I knew I wanted to be on a busy street, which is where I am. But there were other businesses that I felt would be appealing to people who would be like me. Like there's another business, Candy Shack Daiquiris. They're black owned. They're in the shopping center. And so I'm like, okay, you know, people like daiquiris. The summertime, it'll be popping over there. (laughs) (laughs) I can go down there and slide some business card. And so I really looked for locations that were already established, that had good foot traffic, um, that was on a busy street. So when people are driving by, they might see, you know, they can see it from the street. Yes. So yeah, I, I, I took all that in consideration. The next piece that I want to touch on is the product side of this. Now, I don't often speak to people who um, are sourcing product for their business. Usually they're trying to get their product into a retailer. What's it like being on the other end? What does that entail? You know, it's interesting. So my um, goal was always to carry a lot of uh, black owned healthy hair brands. I'm a big advocate on healthy ingredients. And so even me as a consumer, I was the one reading the labels because I like to know what I'm putting in my hair and on my scalp. And so it's interesting because I already kind of knew my product mix that I wanted before I opened, you know, some products that I use heavily, you know, like my favorite products like Sultanicals, Curls and Potions. Those are products that I was using as just a regular person. And so I'm like, I definitely have to keep these in the store. And so it's just interesting because you do get people who have new products like the niche, the indie brands that want you to put their 
product or want you to put your their brand in your store. So you deal with that a lot. I get emails all day, every day. Hey, I have this new hair care line. I want to put it in your store. What do I need to do? Um, but choosing your product mix is really about who your target audience is. Most people who knew me before I actually opened the store and my people that, you know, family and friends, they knew that I was all about healthy hair, um, natural hair care products. So that's kind of the brand that I had built before I had even opened. Um, and so that's kind of what people expected to see when they came into Be Polish. And I'm still very much in that that lane. You know, I carry a lot of brands that you don't find in other beauty supply stores or like Target or Sally's. I pride myself in that. And I carry a lot of local brands too um, that have great ingredients. So it's just interesting to have to source those things. And I do all of my own inventory. So I'm the one that's buying products for the store. Nobody else does that for me. And I'm very careful about what I put in the store and what I put on my shelves. What is the buying process entail? Does that mean that you are asking for a minimum supply and also then having to pay them at the time, or do you pay out uh, proportionally or percentage wise when their products sell? You know, it depends. So a lot of our big or a lot of our brands that we use um, today, like the Mayels and the Maine, you don't get to buy those directly from them anymore. When they were, you know, not in the big box brands, which is your Sally's and your Targets, you could go directly to them and buy from them. Now you do have to find distributors, which there are several in the U.S., um, but you buy through a distributor. And I use maybe one or two, maybe three. And you, you basically submit your order to them and for one of my distributors, I actually have terms, which I'm so thankful for. I have a 30-day term, so I don't have to pay them until 30 days um, after they issue my invoice. And so for others, you might have to pay immediately. And then for those that you're buying directly from, like I buy my Sultanicals directly from Sultanicals and I buy, you know, certain products directly from the manufacturer, you pay immediately. <laughs> and some of those brands, they do have minimum order um, quantities, which you'll see what they call as MOQs. Um, and so they might say you have to buy a minimum of six for this particular product at a wholesale value. Um, and so it just depends on what the brand is and if they, if you can buy directly from them or if you have to use a distributor. Now, Everyone wants to buy directly from the manufacturer because it's cheaper. When you use a distributor, they tack on their percentage to get their money. So, you know, I try to buy as much as I possibly can directly from the manufacturer to keep my costs down. Even though you have to pay up front. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. And thank you for sharing that process with us. And so what happens if they, you, you know, let's say someone reaches out to you about having their product on the shelf. Is there a trial period just to make sure that you'll make your money back? I've taken a chance on some small brands and they did not necessarily work out the way I wanted it to. And my rule of thumb is if it takes more than three months to sell or four months to sell, I'm probably not going to keep it in the store, you know, because you have to worry about carrying costs, which is basically when stuff is just sitting on your shelves. And as a small business, you 
you're wanting to constantly turn over your inventory because when you're selling, you're making money, you know? So you really can't afford to have a lot of products just sitting on your shelves all the time. And so that's my rule of thumb is if it takes too long for an item to sell, um, then I typically don't bring it back. Um, Another rule of thumb that I I have personally adopted this year is if if we're not going to collaborate, which means I push it and you push it too, we're not going to work together. I've had situations where I put someone's product in my store and they never say, hey, you can now find our products at be polished, but they'll say, Hey, you can find our products at Sally's beauty. I have a problem with that. Yep. 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 (laughs) I'm like, okay, you reached out to me and I feel like we can make this work, but I can't be the one that's always pushing the product. So you have to be really straightforward with what your expectations are when you're dealing, especially with the smaller brands. I love my small brands, um, but sometimes I don't think that they, you know, uh, appreciate us beauty supply stores like they do the big box retailers. And through all of this, you are still a side hustler. How do you juggle? Like really, t- like you know, break this down for us. Are you having to sometimes take personal days? Does your staff cover it all, and you just go in on the weekends? How does this work? So I still have my nine to five. Um, I have a staff of four that holds it down for me, and I so appreciate them. They work mostly throughout the week. Um, the only time I go at, go into the store on, throughout the week is if we have a lot of inventory that comes in and I want to help or if I have something else going on in the store. But for the most part, they are splitting all the shifts that are Monday through Friday. Um, we typically have two shifts a day. So I have an opener who opens at 10 to 345, another one that comes in around 330 to 8. Um and Saturdays and Sundays when is when I'm in the store. You know, I like to be in the store. I like to connect with my customers. And Saturdays and Sundays, the only day that I really can do it, um, because you know, again, I I'm at work from you know 7:30 to 4:35, depending on what's on my schedule for that day. But I just make it work. You know, I do a lot of work in the evenings. I do work on my my lunch, like I'm doing this interview right now. <laughs> So it's a lot of work that you have to do before you go into your full time job and um, after you go into your full time job. And but I really hands down have to give it to my staff because they make it really possible. If they weren't as great as they are, then I could not continue to work a full-time job to get us where we need to be as a business. Um, So yeah, it's just a a juggling act, to be honest. Absolutely. And how do you plan to scale, you know, looking forward so that you are able to pay yourself and not just your staff? You know, so (laughs) I still don't know. I don't know. (laughs) No, I'm joking. (laughs) Thank you for the transparency. (laughs) You know, I think about this. This is something that I think about every single day, you know, how can I get this business to where it needs to be so I can pay myself from it? Um, and <laughs> which is not necessarily the goal because I get in a paycheck. So I'm not too focused on, you know, taking money from the business to pay myself when I'm already getting a paycheck somewhere else. Um, but I do want the store to be in a sweet spot. You know, I think that's the the goal for anybody, any business is for your business to be in a sweet spot. And that might be different for, uh, for everybody. Um, but for me, that means it's, 
you know, we are breaking even every single month because in all transparency, we are not. Um, so I'm working also to help cover some costs that might come up because they do come up. Um, and, you know, just scaling the business, you know, you have to constantly add inventory. You're constantly you know, trying to reduce your cost. And, you know, I, I still have not figured that piece out, um, but I think we're year two, as we're going in, as we're in year two, it'll get continue to get better. Um, but really scaling your business, it really depends on your foot traffic. And that's what I'm working on right now, getting my foot traffic up to where it needs to be. I'm grateful that you mentioned that, you know, and you're open about that because you can have a very good business, a needed business, and one that is important to the community and changing lives. And it's not always easy to figure out, okay, how to, how do I make this consistently break even or profitable month over month? How do I pay myself and all these other different things? And, you know, I believe you'll get there and I, and I, you know, thank God that you're doing the side hustling route, which I am such a proponent of because you don't have that stress of wondering how you're going to keep the lights on. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, that is something that you think about every single month. I'm like, okay, you know, I did this last month and now I'm like, where are the people, guy? You know, yes. <laughs> and retail, it's, it fluctuates, you know, wintertime, it could be hit or miss. Springtime is typically the busy time because it's nice and sunny outside. You have spring break. And so, you know, I'm also learning my cycles because I have no historical knowledge, really. I know last year, you know, since I opened in January, I know we did as well as we did because I'm the new beauty supply store, the black owned beauty supply store. So everybody's going to come out. But once all that shakes out, it's just like, okay, these are my real numbers and this is my real foot track. Traffic, and this is what I, I need to fix, you know, so I'm still learning the cycles of retail and when it's busy and when it's slow and just trying to really prepare for all that. It's a lot that goes into owning a retail store, period, regardless if you're selling beauty supply stores or clothes. It's a lot. Yeah. And do you sell online also or just strictly in store? We do. We have an online website. Um, uh, we sell we do pretty well. Um, online. And it's interesting because a lot of my online orders are for people right here in the DFW Metroplex. Because <laughs> I'm located in Arlington, Texas, but within the Metroplex, you have Fort Worth, you have Crowley, you know, you have all these different other cities within the DFW Metroplex. And so my store location might be a little bit too far for some. Mm. And so they order online. So uh, we do do online sales. We don't carry everything that we have in store online because that just would be another nightmare to manage. Um, but we, we do pretty good online as well. Okay. That's good to know. And are you mailing those yourself or team members or staff handle that? A combination of both. I actually have two packages in my truck, my car right now that I need to mail. So whoever's on on call, um, we use Shopify, which makes it very easy to manage. Um, so my lead, she actually has the app as well. So she gets notifications of orders just like I do. So whoever can fulfill it and put it um, in the mail, that's who handles it. All right. Now let's talk a little bit more about overcoming the fears and anxiety that comes with growing a business every day. Like I said, I've listened to your podcast. And one of the things I've heard you say is um, 
when you are responsible for your own day-to-day livelihood, it becomes a different burden on you and your mental space. And you mentioned that some days you have really high days, you know, you're on cloud nine, you have all these business ideas going. And I relate to that. And then some days you have really low days where you just want to answer a few emails, then get under the covers and just cry. And I also relate to that. (laughs) You know, there are days when I've just canceled everything and just got under the covers. Can you talk a bit more about how you are navigating that? You know, it's really day by day. Um, I try to manage my stress as best as I can. Um, I'm an advocate of trying to have healthy, you know, lifestyles. So I work out, I try to eat healthy, try to get as much sleep as I possibly can. But it's really a day to day struggle. You know, some days I feel like, and I think I spoke this to someone else. I said, some days I feel like I have entrepreneurship depression, um, where again, that's the highs and the lows. You know, we can have a thousand dollar day and then like, a a hundred, two hundred dollar day. And I'm like, what the heck? You know, so it really just depends. And I try to not let my low days get to me as much as anymore and really just talk to myself and say, Keisha, this is part of the business. It's not always going to be great. Um, And I just have those conversations with myself. I've started journaling, you know, to kind of help get some of that out because you know you can talk to your family and your friends but they're not going to understand unless you're in the situation and they're in the situation so I do journal I do pray I do read my bible to you know give me some encouraging words um I listen to amazing podcasts like yours (laughs) I've listened to every episode you know it's those things I do. I'm like, I, you know, when I, on the days where I need some umph and I'm like, I need to stay focused. I need to get, you know, some motivation. I do. I go out and line, listen to amazing podcasts because I think the more you hear great things and the more you hear other people's stories, the more is the more it helps you and motivates you and realize it makes you realize you're not alone. You know, I think sometimes we feel like we're alone in this, this struggle, especially entrepreneurs, but we're not. Um, there are other people who are going through just like that. And so to hear other stories, it makes you feel better because you're not be like, OK, I'm not the only one that's not where they need to be in life. You know, so I really just try to manage it day by day. As someone who works in HR and also has a side hustle, do you have any best practices for people who one of their anxieties might be the fact that they're juggling and they're keeping their side hustle on the low? Um, What are some ways to side hustle and do it in a way that you are not going to get fired and you are not, you know, going against any rules of your employer? Um, Absolutely. So definitely leave your work outside. I try to as much as I possibly can. You know, my staff knows that if they absolutely need me to call me or they'll text me or something to that nature. But I'm not at work taking uh, phone calls from my vendors like, yeah, I need 18, you know, two 18 inch virgin hair buns. I'm not doing that on the work phone and, you know, that stuff. So I really try to keep it separate from my day to day and do everything that I need to do in the evenings or before I go to work. And you really have to just um, prioritize. You know, I've learned to start saying no to a lot of things because people want me to come to events in the middle of the day. And I'm like, I can't, you know, I have a job. And so I've learned to respectfully decline invitations and, you know, say I'm, I'm at my max capacity with 
everything that I have going on. I can't participate in this phone call or I can't participate in this event that you want me to go through, go to. So you really prioritization is the biggest thing. And Um, time management. You know, I'm a sucker for getting on Instagram. And before I know it, I've spent a whole year, a whole, not a whole year, but a whole hour on Instagram. And so I really just try to learn to do my best with my time management and priorities and just really just, you know, writing task lists and saying, okay, these are the things that I need to get done at work and outside of work for the store. So you really just have to use multiple tools. That is so true. And, you know, that definitely helped me out a lot. And, and it's also like, uh, for me, that, that was also a management tool for managing the mental load in the mental space when I was able to separate the two. When I was able to just say, all right, I'm at work now. I'm not thinking about that. <laughs> that helped me to not stress about either one or, okay, I'm at home now. I can focus on side hustle pro. Now, before we get into the lightning round, I'm curious to know if you had a chance to start your company all over again. Would you do anything differently? If so, what? Would I do anything differently? I might have went with a smaller store. The store that I have, it's nice size. It's actually 1,900 square feet. I only use 1,300 of it retail. Um, But I feel like, you know, I probably could have started with a, a smaller store. But other than that, there's not too much other things that I would do differently. Well, I lie. There is something I would do differently. (laughs) Um, You know, when you get into this business, you are wanting to appease everybody and make everyone happy. So when I first opened, there were people who came in and say, please carry this, please carry this. And, you know, I have not seen those people since then. (laughs) (laughs) And I've carried their product that they've requested. Yes. So you, you get into this new, you get into this business and you have new store syndrome um, where you want to carry everything for everybody. So I wasted a lot of money doing that. Um, So I definitely would just go ahead and and not listen to all of that and just really stick with my focus and, you know, have the product mix that I wanted to have. So now it is time to jump into the lightning round. You just answered the very first thing that comes to mind. Speed is of the essence. Are you ready? I am. Okay. Number one, what is one of the biggest resources that has helped you in starting your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? Definitely um, the Black Owners Facebook group. There's one out there um, and they are a huge support system. All right. Number two, what's been the best business book that has directly helped you with your business? I would have to say profit first. Number three, what is a non-negotiable part of your daily routine? Prayer and reading my Bible. I start off in the mornings with it every single morning that I can. All right. Number four, what is a personal habit that has helped you significantly as a side hustler? Honestly, working out, that keeps my stress away. And it I, when I work out, I have more focus and more clarity. <laughs> Number five, what is your parting advice for fellow Black women entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss, but are worried about stepping out on faith and losing a steady paycheck? Just go for it. Um, you do not know if you will succeed if you don't start. So give it your all. And when you give it your all, you'll definitely see the the fruits of your labor. All right. So Keisha, where can people connect with you and Be Polished Beauty Supply after this episode? Uh, my Instagram is bepolished underscore CEO. 
and I am on Instagram and on Twitter. And then for the store, you can reach, you can find us at Be Polished Beauty Supply on Instagram as well as Facebook. Um, and then we do have LinkedIn as well. So you can find us on all social media platforms. And we're located at 6407 South Cooper Street, Suite 135, Arlington, Texas, 76001. All right, guys. And there you have it. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other side hustlers just like you to find the show. And if you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Side Hustle Pro. Plus, sign up for my six-foot Saturday newsletter at sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter. When you sign up, you will receive weekly nuggets from me, including what I'm up to, personal lessons, and my business tip of the week. Again, that's sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter to sign up. Talk to you soon.